ask you to stand uh, for reverence, out of reverence for the reading of God's word. Our first scripture reading will be Psalm 110, the 110th Psalm. I will read it in, in, read it in its entirety, all seven verses. Psalm 110, a Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments, from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. I ask you to remain standing as we turn to our next reading of Scripture, which will be our sermon text. This will be the Gospel of Luke. So Luke chapter 24. This is uh, Luke's account of our own Lord's ascension to glory. Uh, Primarily for this sermon, we'll focus on verses 49 to 51, but just to give a little bit of context, I'll start reading in 44. So chapter 24, verses 44, I'll read to the close of the chapter. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, He parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. As far the word of God, you may be seated. Well, let's go before the Lord in prayer over his word. Father, we come to you, and we bless you for your word before us now. Oh Lord, we bless you for you. Thank you for Christ's ascension. Christ has finished his work and now gone up to heaven. Help us understand the ascension. Help us understand this text and help us understand our very own Lord. Grant us your aid. Illuminate our hearts. Increase our faith. May you be glorified, O God, and may your sheep be fed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, it's it's a privilege to be back with you again this evening, the second time I've been with you all after last month, and tonight, this evening, we are looking at Christ's ascension, what it shows us of Christ, and how it helps us to know him better, what it means for us as his people. Last time, we looked at Christ's sorrow, his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
We, we looked at him in one of his lowest parts of his humiliation. And now we come to the other side where he's now being exalted. So as we look at our text here at the end of Luke 24, it seems like such a short and brief account of the ascension. But there is, there is much significance here. The ascension is not just Christ leaving earth. It is not just the means for Christ to get from earth up to heaven. There's significance here. The ascension is not just a departure. It is also an arrival. For Christ truly does depart earth, but he arrives in heaven. He arrives in glory. So there's quite a contrast and a change here. Even, even from last time we were speaking of his sorrow and his agony... And now we look to his ascension, his exaltation. As we think of such, the, the words of John Flavel came to my mind. Speaking of Christ's ascension and the contrast, he says, There he sweat, but here he sits. There he groaned, but here he triumphs. There he lay upon the ground, here he sits on the throne of glory. This is the contrast before us this evening. And I want us to notice something about the intentionality of where Christ ascends from. Right here in our passage, it says he was near Bethany. We know from Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 12, that more specifically, around Bethany, he's actually on the Mount of Olives. If we remember, the Mount of Olives is where he would go often to pray and where he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and was in agony and sorrow. So Christ intentionally brings his disciples back here to this very same place where he was once at the lowest of lows and he ascends from here in triumph as conqueror. Christ is now exalted and is for the world to see and he will never be humbled again. Now I think all of us have thought to one degree or another how much we would have loved to be there in person for Jesus' ministry. We read the gospel narratives And we've all felt to some degree the desire to be there with Christ in the flesh. You know, to witness his miracles, to hear his teaching, even to be near enough just to touch him, even just to touch his robe. But I want to place something before you this evening, something that I think this text brings out, and something that the reality of the ascension brings out, that it is actually better for us that Jesus has ascended. We'll get into that in depth more later. But I want to put it before you now that it is actually better for us that Jesus has ascended. As opposed to if he, if he were still on the earth with us now. Now I know that's not intuitive to us whatsoever. It is not intuitive to us. But think of the disciples. In the early chapters of the gospel accounts, when Jesus first tells them and they first realize that he's going to depart, it first clicks that Jesus isn't going to be here forever, they're sorrowful. They're discouraged. They're sad. And now, what did did we just read from our passage here at the very end? It says in verse 51, He blessed them, he parted from them, and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. So how did the disciples go from this very same, knowing that he's going to depart, now witnessing his, his departure, they go from sorrow to rejoicing. What is it that they now understood about the ascension that they didn't get before that would bring them from 
discouragement and sorrow to, to know that Jesus was leaving, to now they watch him leave and they return to Jerusalem in rejoicing and celebration. There's, there's something to that. So that will get us into the substance of the text. And to better understand this very text in the Ascension, I just want to look at it in two points. Its significance and its blessing. The significance of the Ascension and the blessing of the Ascension. So with that, our first point, the significance of the Ascension. We could read and understand the Ascension as, as simply what, what verse 51 tells us, the end of it, that he parted from them, was carried up into heaven. We could just leave it there. Surely he indeed, he indeed, he indeed did depart from them. He left earth, he was carried up into heaven. In summary, we could say the Ascension, though, is there's a lot more to it. That in the ascension, Christ departs from earth, he enters into heaven, he enters into his glory, he is seated at the right hand of Father as ruler over all, he enters once for all into the holy of holies as our high priest, he intercedes for his people, he sends forth his spirit, and he, prepare, he prepares a place for us to go once we come to glory. Now that is a lot. It's a lot more than what this verse says explicitly, but that is what is implied, what is happening here. It's a lot more than just going from point A to point B. The ascension was, in fact, the highest point of Christ's exaltation to date. And it will only be surpassed by the day when he returns in glory and judgment and to retrieve his own bride. Until that very day, the highest point in Christ's eternal life was the day of his ascension. It was when he entered into his glory, when he received again the glory that he had with the Father before the world began, and when he was seated at the right hand of the Father. John Owen even says that Christ's entrance into heaven was the greatest moment of glory that ever was or ever will be until the great last day. For our Lord, this was a day he looked forward to unlike any other. We should appreciate the significance and the meaning of the ascension and what it is. Christ, who suffered, faced sorrow, agony, faced even the wrath of God on the cross, beatings, mockings, reproach, all of that unjustly, all of that wrongly. Now, he no longer had to face such suffering, such humiliation. He was to be exalted and crowned. He was to be given a crown, but not just the crown as creator, which he had, but now the crown due to him as victor, as conqueror, as redeemer, as mediator. When Jesus ascends, it's not just a, not simply a move from earth to heaven. It is Jesus going and arriving in heaven for his own coronation be seated at the right hand of the Father, to be crowned the King of Kings. He goes by his own power. He ascends by his own might. He enters heaven by his own right, by his own merit, by his own righteousness. He does not need a mediator to enter heaven. He is the mediator. He is the one who has now bridged heaven and earth. So he ascends of his own power. Imagine an Olympic athlete, let's say a sprinter, for example, one who has trained his entire life 
to face the best of the best, the best the world has to offer. He's had plenty of times of sorrow and heartbreak, maybe injuries he's had to bounce back from, and he's trained and he's trained, and finally he gets to the Olympics. He's in the 100-meter dash. Race starts, and he wins. He's now the fastest man in the world. Imagine the joy, thinking back on all that he's been through, to finally reach this moment, finally stand on that podium, be given that gold medal. Think of the jubilation that he's felt, and that all of his family and his friends would feel for him. And now Christ, think of the jubilation that he felt. He suffered as no man ever suffered. And the weight of what he had to accomplish was far more valuable than any Olympic sprinter, than anything any of us could ever do. So Christ goes to heaven to receive his crown. We can't even fathom the value that that crown has. Think of the rejoicing in heaven when Christ returns, when Christ comes from earth and comes back into heaven. We know from the word of God that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous men who need no repentance. So imagine the joy and the celebration in heaven itself when Christ the Lord, the second person of the Trinity, the God-man who went down to earth to save sinners, finished his work and came back to heaven. Imagine the shouts of joy among, amongst the angelic host, amongst the saints already, already departed and in heaven. Imagine the celebration when Christ returns and they see him enter heaven again. Imagine the joy of the Father to be reunited with his Son. This is a day, this is a moment that I, I don't think, me included, we give enough attention to, that we give enough weight and significance to. We should value this more as Christians. Think of the joy it was for our own Lord, how much he looked forward to this how much joy he received and the praise and honor for fulfilling his work. This portion of God's word should bring us to view the ascension as more than just a historical event. We're called, like the disciples here in Luke 24, to leave Jerusalem, to go out to the mountainside, to come here, to get away from the hustle and bustle of our everyday life, and to spend some time now meditating on the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, what it meant for him what it meant for us. He would bless his disciples and he would even bless us as he goes. Look at the response from his disciples. We've, we've mentioned it, that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy were continuing in the temple blessing God. So beloved, I would ask you, does the ascension cause you to worship God? As we speak of the ascension, as we think of it, does it bring you to great joy? Does it bring you to joy over what the Lord has done? Further, he ascended, marking that his work was complete. We know that as he ascends, he goes to the right hand of the Father and he sits. He has finished his work. He's not still standing, still doing his work, still trying to get it done. He has sat down at the right hand of the Father. His work is done. So what that means for you is that there is nothing more to gain in terms of your justification in terms of your standing before God, in terms of your way to God, your righteousness, Christ has completed it all. He is done with his work. He has sat down. And in him, your work is done too. It does not mean we do not live after the Lord and pursue holiness. But in terms of your standing before the Lord, there is nothing more for you to do. He has left this earth for a time. 
is now waiting for the day when he will return to retrieve his bride. And either he returns and you meet him in the cloud, or you pass and you meet him in glory. Either way, whichever it is, you are closer now than ever before to going where Christ has gone, to going where Christ is, to being with him where he has ascended in heaven itself. The ascension is more than just something that happened at the end of Christ's life. It is immensely significant and has innumerable blessings. So with that, it's our second point, the blessing of the ascension. There is blessing that we see in this text, Christ actually blessing his disciples actively, and there is indeed blessing for us in the reality that Jesus has ascended. As we mentioned earlier, it is actually better for us that Jesus ascended rather than if he was still here on the earth. Why is that? One, we can surely look verse 49, where he says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. That promise is the Holy Spirit. That promise is God, the Spirit, that has come upon his people. Christ has authority to send the Spirit. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And Christ's own Spirit, Christ's Spirit is sent to dwell with his people. It is like Christ there with them too. You see, Christ on earth, incarnate, he was localized. He was in one place at one time. Whereas the Spirit is able to be in all places at all times. Comforting, helping all of us at all times. The Spirit draws us to Christ. The Spirit gives us new hearts. Applies the work of Christ's redemption to us. Comforts us, helps us in our sufferings. And preserves us until the day we depart for glory ourselves. I want us to understand that Christ would not have left us behind here if it were not better for us. That is how much Christ loves us. He would not have left us behind if he was not leaving us in better hands. That is not to say anything of Christ's incapability or not, but that it is better for us in God's order that he would be in heaven and that the Spirit would come upon us. He leaves us in the best hands possible, the hands of God the Spirit. Think of John 16, verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. A few verses down, verse 13, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. If we're not for the Spirit coming, we as men, we as children of God, would not have been able to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. If we're not for the Spirit, the Great Commission, the expansion of Christ's kingdom would not have begun, would not have taken place. We, all of us in here, I'm assuming, as Gentiles, would not have been grafted in if it were not for the Spirit's outpouring. We are blessed because the Spirit has come. We are indebted to the work of the Spirit. And if you individually have a saving faith in Christ, are united to Christ, if you have not lost your salvation, or rather the fact that you have not lost your salvation, that is all due to the work of the Spirit. It is the work of the Spirit that you are still united to Christ. We're up to us who have lost our salvation long ago. The Spirit applies that work of Christ to you and keeps you. Why else is it better for us that Christ is ascended? Well, Christ goes to prepare a place for us. 
Christ has gone where we will go, where His Spirit leads us, and His Spirit has come to prepare us for that place. The Spirit came to prepare us to meet with our Lord face to face. The Spirit comes to purify us, to sanctify us, to prepare us for heaven itself. The Spirit prepares us for glory. And now note something here of utmost importance. In verse 50, Christ says, As he led them out, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Here Christ acts as our great high priest, blessing his people. He lifts his hands upon his people and he blesses them. This is not just him wishing them well, not just giving them a little insignificant blessing. This is him efficaciously, directly blessing them, pouring out the direct, actual grace of God upon them. As they receive it in faith, the disciples receive the very grace of God. So as Christ ascended, he gives his authority to the apostles and then to ministers after him to bless his people everywhere around the world. At the end of every single service, when your minister stands up here and gives you the benediction, that is Christ's own blessing for you. As you receive it in faith, that is Christ blessing you directly. What I really want you to take away from this is that the very last act that Christ does on earth is bless his people. His very last act on earth is to bless his people. He was so set on blessing them, his love was so strong for them, his desire to bless them so great that he didn't want to waste a single moment that he had left on this earth. Every millisecond he had left on this earth, he wanted to be spent in blessing his people. The way this reads, it says, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. If you read even the old, the, the King James or the New King James, it'll say, he was parted and carried up from them. It almost puts, a, puts it in a passive light. Of course, Christ ascends of his own might, but the way that the text speaks here, it's almost as if Christ is longing just to remain a second more, just to bless his people even more as he's being carried away up into heaven. He longs to be with his people, to bless his people. This shows us something of Christ's heart, of his own disposition towards his people, of his own disposition to, towards you. He intentionally is carried away while blessing his people so that the very last thing that they see of him is him blessing them. He does not leave earth rebuking them for their lack of faith, for their lack of obedience. He does not chastise them. He does not question them or prod them to try and get an answer out of them. The very last thing they experience of him, the very last thing they see of him, is him blessing them. That is our Lord. That is his heart for his people, his heart for you. It's not just some metaphorical language about God. This is Christ's actual heart. And as Christ the God-man, perfectly human, perfectly divine, it shows something of even Christ's human affections, his human emotions for his people, that he would long every moment he had to bless his people. This last act is his blessing his people, and he does it to also show that this blessing continues in heaven. It does not end once he passes through the clouds. He shows us and would remind us that as he is in heaven, as we cannot see him now, he continues to bless us. And he went to heaven so that he might bless us more abundantly. And he might send the Spirit the utmost blessing for us. And of course, this is not the modern church's understanding of blessing. He's not blessing us with winning lottery tickets or a new car. He's blessing us with what truly fulfills, what truly matters. The very good of our own soul. 
the growth of the kingdom, his own glory, communion with God. This is what he blesses us with. We see that Christ our Lord is full of grace. He would bless his people before he would do anything else. He would bless you before he does anything else. Most importantly, as Christ ascended for his people to sit down and rule for them, to prepare a place for them, we must ask ourselves, did Christ ascend for you? Did Christ ascend for me? Does he now prepare a place for you? We must ask ourselves this. He did not ascend for everyone. As we read in Psalm 110, he is ascended now, sits on the right hand of the Father, and for many people he is their judge. He will make his enemies his footstool, as it reads. Does he prepare a place for you? It's important that we examine ourselves periodically as Paul exhorts us to, not to get too introspective, but to properly examine ourselves. I would encourage you, though, that there's no magic formula to figure this out. Answer the question, did Christ ascend for me? Is he seated at the right hand of the Father for me? There's no magic formula. There's no secret knowledge. Simple as this. When you look to Christ, do you look, at him at, do you look to him in fear? Perhaps indifference? Or do you look to him in faith, in trust, and in love? Simply, when you see the work that Christ has done, what he had came to do, that he came to live and to die for sinners, that he ascended that he resurrected and ascended for sinners, do you, re- do you see him, do you see that work of his and recognize your need for him? Do you believe that he has ascended to the Father and that he is the only way to the Father? Do you have faith and trust in the Lord, not, not in your own profession, not, not a faith and a trust in even the strength or the sincerity of your own profession, but a trust and a faith in, in Christ Jesus? and the Lord Christ Jesus, and who he is and what he's done. You may indeed have doubts. You may indeed have discouragements. You may say to the Lord, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You may indeed still be struggling with that same sin over and over and over again. But if you look to Christ in faith and hope, the simplest of faith, the smallest of faith is true faith. If you look to Christ in faith, He will in no wise cast you out. And I can say to you assuredly, Christ has ascended for you. Christ has indeed been risen on high, been lifted up on high, and is ruling and reigning the cosmos, the whole universe, this very earth, and everything that goes on for you and the good of your own soul. Where he is, you will go to. Not might, not could. You will go. When Christ left earth and ascended, he was carried away. And while he was carried away, he carried away his bride with him. As secure as Christ is in heaven, you as his bride, you as his people are secure. As impossible as it is for Christ to fall off the throne next to the Father and to be cast out of heaven, as impossible as that is, is as impossible as it is for you to lose your inheritance, to lose your reward, to lose your guarantee. As secure as Christ is in heaven, you are secure in heaven. By his grace, all this is true for you. By faith in Christ. Let us conclude there.
As we saw the disciples, saw the ascension, they understood its significance, and it filled them with great joy. It stirred them to worship. Beloved, I pray would do the same for us. We would see Christ and what it meant. That yes, he left this earth, but yes, he arrived in heaven and was crowned above all. That he rules for you. He secures a place for you. He prepares a place for you. And he is waiting for the day to bring you to that place. Let's close with prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of Christ and we bless your holy name. We bless your work and the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came for sinners such as we, who died, who rose again and ascended, who entered heaven, entered his glory, all for his people, all for us even. Lord, we can't fathom it. We've only scratched the surface. We don't deserve it. But Lord, we praise you and we thank you and we love you. Help us to understand the ascension more. Help us to meditate on it as we go home this evening, as we go throughout this week, and we think back on it, what it means for us even today, as we look to Christ up in heaven, as we bless him for the spirit that has been sent upon us, and as we wait eagerly for the day, we will go to the place that he has prepared for us. Bless us as we finish out this worship this evening, Lord. May it be under your glory, under our edification. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.